Let me begin with a little verse from Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36. You may actually have this up. This is Ezekiel 36, verse 26 and 27. This is something God said through a prophet many years ago. And I have come to really treasure these verses because they've run and set me free from a, a wrong thinking that was in my mind. Because for many years I believed God was leaving me to save myself. And I want to share with you this morning that is not the God we worship. He is not a God who left us to save ourselves. Look at these beautiful verses. Ezekiel 36, verse 26 says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to keep my judgments and do them. Now, I've been going to church for nearly 60 years. And for most of that time, for some reason, the impression I was left with was that God was looking to me to lead a godly life. He was looking to me to lead a holy enough life that I would deserve for him to save me. And maybe you're here this morning too, and maybe that's what you believe. You believe that God is looking to you by yourself to lead a good enough life for him. And if that is what you are believing, I, I want to relate a story to you that might help you this morning uh, to see the effect of that on our lives. I heard this story years ago. I was driving in a car one day, and I heard this come over the radio. I thought it was fascinating. It was a story of a man in the Middle East, and this man did his best to observe all the things his religion asked him to observe. He was diligent. Uh, he was hungry after God. He tried his best to lead a godly life. In fact, he'd done this for so long, he actually believed he was the holiest man in his town. And one night he had a dream. And in that dream, he saw a street he knew in his town and a strange house in that street. And in that house, he saw a man and the face of a man came up before him. And he felt God was saying, that's the holiest man in this town. And he woke up the next morning and he was very disturbed. But he said, what? So he remembered in his dream where the street was. He went to the street. He saw the house in his dream. He went into the house. Turned out to be the house of a cobbler. And there behind the counter, he saw the man in his dream. And he stood there for a moment and watched him as this man interacted with his customers. And he was laughing and joking. And after a few minutes, the man said to himself, that's not a holy man. I'm holier than that man. I don't understand. So he went to the man. He said, listen. And he told him about the dream he had. He said, and in the dream... I felt God saying, you're, you're the holiest man in this village. How can you be holier than me? The cobbler looked at him and said, well, I'll make you a deal. If you do something for me, I'll tell you why I believe I'm holier than you. Anything, I'll do anything. So the cobbler did something very strange. He took some mercury and poured it into a, a plate. Any children here gone to school, do you remember what happens when you pour mercury out? It turns into, from a liquid, into these little spheres, these little balls, and it rolls over the plate, doesn't it? So he poured some into a plate, and there was all these balls in the plate, and he gave the man the plate, and he said, now you go outside the shop, you go to the top of the street and back within one minute, and put this plate back on this table, and if you haven't spilled one drop, I'll tell you why I'm holier than you. No, no problem, no problem. So the man picks up the plate. Whoa, 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 whoa. Already he goes, avoids the door, avoids this person, avoids that person, avoids that whole. Gets to the top of the street, looks at it. Oh, my goodness, back again. Turns it back. Oh, just gets back in before 60 seconds and puts the plate back down. Whew. 
Now I drop spells. Now you tell me. Why are you holier than me? And the cobbler said, well, can I ask you a question? How many times did you think about God while you were doing that? Think about God? I didn't think about God at all. I was too busy thinking about myself. Yeah, that's why I'm holier than you. It's quite an amazing thing to be so religious all your life and realize that you're totally focused on yourself. That's what religion will do. It'll suck you in until you become totally self-absorbed, self-conscious. How do you know? How can you tell if you hear someone today and that's been your experience? I think you can tell because you end up living more of a self-conscious life than a God-conscious life. And that's a very sad thing. Such a life always tends to think of salvation or eternal life as a goal to be reached rather than a relationship, rather than someone to know. And it's such a, a sad thing as it were to spend years trying to reach a goal of a great life or a godly life and all the time miss the life, the greater life that was under your nose the whole time. See, eternal life is about relationship. My father now qualified as a veterinary surgeon in 1957. And there was a man who qualified in the same year as him. And back then in the 50s, uh, veterinary surgeons didn't work in teams. They worked single-handedly. And so if you were a vet, you worked round the clock and you were called out day and night. So they never really saw much of their family. My father was, worked that hard too. Years later, my father said he met a, a colleague of his who qualified in the same year. And this man relayed to him a very sobering story. He said how he had worked so hard like that for his family to get a great life for his family. And one day, he found himself leading his daughter up the aisle on her wedding day to give her away. And as he walked up the aisle with his daughter, he realized, my God, I've, I'm giving this girl away and I never got to know her. I never got to know her. He said he cried all the way up the aisle as he gave his daughter away. The Apostle John relays Jesus' definition of eternal life. This is John 17, 3. Jesus said this, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And that Greek word there, know, genosko, it means the same way a husband knows his wife, the intimacy of marriage. So despite what you may have heard in church, maybe for decades, God's not expecting you to live a godly life by yourself because he never believed you could live such a life by yourself nobody here got married by themselves <laughs> nobody here could even get baptized by yourself it doesn't work like that god never left you to save yourself that's the good news we have for this country that's the gospel god never left you to save yourself in fact that's what we just read this morning in that prophecy i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues. That's verse 27. Who does God declare will cause you to walk in his statues? You or him. He is the cause. His spirit is the cause. Throughout that passage, God takes all the work of transformation onto himself. Five times he uses the word I. He says, I will sprinkle you. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I will take the heart of stone out of you. I will put my spirit in you and cause you. Do you hear all that? He takes all that work upon himself. What does all that mean? We sang this morning about God is good. What that means is we don't become good by doing good. We become good by receiving good. And the good that we receive is God's good, his spirit. That's the only good there is. 
Now, I wish I'd known that a long time ago. You know, it would have lifted such a lot of condemnation off my life growing up and self-absorption as well. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the Galatians. He said, so it's clear that no man can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. It wasn't clear to me at all. Because it was as clear as mud. Because for years, every time I, I went to church, I got the distinct impression people were pointing to me and saying, it's your job to clean yourself up enough so that God would think that you're worth saving. My experience of that performance culture was that people were looking to me to get myself right with God. What are you going to do? You need to get yourself right with God. That's the way the gospel started to me. Everybody was looking to me to pick myself up out of the mud. I got to tell you this morning, that's not the gospel. The gospel is, as Matt said this morning, we were buried in the mud and incapable of raising ourselves. And so God came in Christ and raised us up to the highest place to sit in the heavenly place beside God in Christ. He did it all. That's the gospel. God's not asking you or I to pull ourselves out of the mud. Now, that's not some new gospel. That's called the eternal gospel. Do you know that's the way Patrick preached the gospel? Listen to his words. Listen to him describe about the mud. This is what Patrick said. I was like a stone that lies in deep mud. And he who is mighty... He came in his great compassion and he raised me up and he exalted me high and he sat me on top of the wall. Praise the Lord. That's the gospel. It's all about him doing it. He never left us to save ourselves. The gospel, you see, is not good advice on what you and I could do to get God to save us. That's not the gospel. It's the good news that he is the cause of your salvation, not you. That he has done through Christ what he promised he would do. This is what he has done through Christ. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will take the heart of stone out of you and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. That's called good news. Let me finish the verse, Galatians 3.11. So it's clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scripture said, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Now this is the bit that tripped me up for years. Yeah, faith, that's right, faith. Faith in whom? For a lot of my life, I was actually living with faith in myself. That I could actually be good enough. I could do everything religion told me to do to be a good enough person that God would say, yeah, you're good enough now for me to save. Faith in him, not faith in me, praise God. Beware any message that points you to you and leaves you with the impression that you're to make yourself right, right enough for God to save you. Jesus said it this way, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. Beware any message that leaves your faith on you. Listen to Romans 3.20. Therefore, no one, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. See, the law wasn't given that we could 
glorify ourselves. God's commandments weren't given so that we could cover ourselves in glory, that we could glorify ourselves. Look at me. I can do this and this and this and this and this. Remember Jesus told the story about the Pharisee and the publican in the temple. Remember that? And the Pharisee stood there and said, I am thank God that I can I do this and I do that and I tithe and I do this. I go to jail. And the publican stood there and said, my God, have mercy on me, a sinner. <laughs> and Jesus said, which man went home justified before God? The law wasn't given that we could glorify ourselves. It was given that we could see the glory that's missing. Because you were never meant to save yourself. You were never meant to live this life alone. God never saw you alone. First thing the Bible, God says, that's not good. It was one man to be alone, you know. He never left us to save ourselves. He never even left us to have faith by ourselves. Faith comes by hearing, praise God. But how do you persuade someone who thinks in their head, no, I can do it. I can do this. I, I could be good enough for God to save me. How do you persuade someone? That's not true. Easy. Let them have a go. Go on. Knock yourself out. Here's the rules. You want to be good as God is good? Never, ever, ever lie. Never, ever, ever covet something belonging to someone else. Or in God's eyes, you're committing adultery. Never, ever get angry with your brother for that's murder. How are you doing so far? Praise God. Knock yourself out. You know, I remember sometimes watching uh, Britain's Got Talent, and sometimes people would come on, and they couldn't really sing, but they were persuaded they could because nobody in their family had told them the truth. Have you ever seen that? And I always remember this couple came, to, came on one day, and they were actually a, a, a Christian couple. And they walked on, and before they sang their song, Simon Carl said to them, tell me, what will you do with the money you win if you win this prize? And they said, well, actually, our church meets on the first floor of a building, and uh, everybody's got to go up these steep stairs, so we want to use the money to get a lift. That's what we're going to do if we win this competition. Simon Carl says, great, on you go. Well, they both started to sing, and it was obvious to everybody in the arena except two people that they couldn't sing. <laughs> and I always remember at the end of it what Simon Carl said, how he broke the news to them. He simply said three words, use the stairs. <laughs> now listen, the law, the commandments were never given to you, do this, do that, do the other, so you could cover yourself in glory. They were given so God could gently show you, you can't do it. You can't do it. Here's the good news. He was never persuaded you could do it. He knew you couldn't do it. Remember, Peter said to the Lord, I'll never betray you. And Jesus said, yes, you will. <laughs> yes, you will. And the moment he did, Luke's gospel said, Jesus looked straight at Peter and Peter burst into tears. Why? Because Jesus wasn't looking sort of, oh, for goodness sake, Peter. No, he was looking with pure love because he knew. He knows we're incapable of being as he is apart from him. So he lets us discover that. So the old covenant, the law, was all about change from the outside in and that man was responsible. And all it did was reveal that we're incapable of changing our own condition, our self-centered self-absorbed, self-conscious, self-ish condition. We can't change that. But the new covenant, the gospel of God's grace, is about change from the inside out. And God says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put my spirit within you, praise God. Now, by this time, if you're listening carefully, you should be saying, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Well, what do we have to do then? What do we have to do to do the works of God? Now, people ask Jesus that all the time. Can you remember his answer? Only believe in him whom God has sent. 
And the wonderful thing God has showed me in my journey is he didn't even leave me to believe by myself because faith comes by. Praise God. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. John 1 verse 12 says this, to those who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Praise God. So I want to talk to you about believing. And I believe, in fact, children can understand better what I'm saying sometimes than adults because adults have forgotten a great truth that children still know. I can't save myself. When you grow up in a world that doesn't believe in a savior, such a world can only teach you to be your own savior. I'll say that again. When you grow up in a world that doesn't believe in a savior, such a world can only teach you to be your own savior. The world believes we've been left by ourselves to save ourselves. The gospel declares God has not left us by ourselves to save ourselves. The gospel declares, look, behold, Christ, the wisdom of God, the power of God. Amazing that he has done it. He has done everything that we could not do ourselves. He has saved us. He has saved us from ourselves. He has saved us from a life of striving to try and be like him, what the Bible calls sin and death. Here's the best news you'll ever hear in your life. God never believed you could save yourself, so he never left you to save yourself. Can you say amen this morning? Amen. God never believed you could save yourself, so he never left you to save yourself. Jesus Christ, his death, his life, his resurrection, his ascension is God not leaving you to save yourself. Jesus Christ is God not leaving you to save yourself. Why is it easier for a child to receive that truth that they cannot save themselves, that they need a savior? I think because it's more obvious to them that they haven't got the strength to save themselves. They need saving every day. I have found that the adults who are most open to the gospel of God's grace are those who've been around long enough to have lost all confidence in their own ability to lead a holy life. I'll say that again. I find that the adults who are most open to the radical gospel of God's grace are those who've been around long enough to lose all confidence in their own ability to lead a holy life. They simply get to the point where they say, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't keep your rules, your statutes. The harder I try, the bigger the hypocrite I feel. And every year, many people walk away from church thinking they're turning their back on God, or in fact, they're turning their back on a God who left them to save themselves and doesn't appear to be lifting a finger to help them. And that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God that Jesus revealed. He never left you to save yourself. The God of the Bible said, I will put my spirit within you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. God never left us to save ourselves for he knew what all children know, what the world teaches us to forget, that we're incapable of saving ourselves. Why do you think Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. I looked up the Greek of the word nothing there. You know what it means? Nothing. <laughs> nothing, nothing. All my life, I got people telling me, you need to be a good person. You need to try harder. You need to do, you need to do, you need to do. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Give me that word again. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. God was not the one who was expecting you to save yourself apart from him. How could he? When he believes that apart from him, you can do nothing. 
Why does God need to put his spirit within us? Because without his spirit, we cannot see the enormity of what we have been given. We cannot see the revelation of Christ and his finished work that stops us from trying to save ourselves. Unless we see Christ as our savior, you can't help trying to save yourself. You know the people who crucified Jesus and put him on the cross? You know when Jesus looked down at them from the cross, he knew that they were trying to save themselves. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If you jump into a river to save a man who's drowning, are you going to be offended that it gives you a black eye? Of course not. Why not? Because you know he's trying to save himself. Religious people are can be very narrow-minded and judgmental and legalistic and comparing themselves all the time with people. You know what? They're just trying to save themselves. And God has mercy on them. Praise God. But he wants us to get a revelation of how well he has saved us. Praise God. The spirit of the world says you need to save yourself. Here's what you need to do to save yourself. That's the spirit of the world. The spirit of a world who doesn't see they have a savior. Let me read you a beautiful verse in 1 Corinthians 2, 12, where Paul wrote of the difference between the spirit of the world and the spirit that comes from God. He wrote this. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which comes from God, that we may know the things which have been freely given to us by God. Praise God. Without the Holy Spirit, nobody could believe God could be that good. Why do you need the Holy Spirit? Because you'll never believe God be so good as to freely save you. Why not? Because without the Holy Spirit, you can't know that God feels the same way about you that you feel about your children. It's the heart of a father. Not a manager, a father. You think about it. If you heard your child was sick and was in hospital, in danger of dying, would you be content to send them a message saying, listen, here's some instructions on how to save yourself. If you follow the instructions, I'll see you later. If you don't, you'll never see me again. What would you think of a parent like that? Can you see then that if a whole nation, Catholic, Protestant, and everybody in between, grows up under teaching that leaves them with a distinct impression that God has left them to save themselves by how holy a life they can live, why are you surprised? Why are we surprised that they're not interested, that they've walked away in their droves, from such a God, a God who would abandon them to save themselves. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. For he shows us that we are the children of God. What manner of love is this that we could be called the children of God? He shows us that we need a Savior. He shows us how helpless we are. He shows us both that we need a Savior and that we have a Savior. Whoa, beautiful Holy Spirit. He shows us that while the world is waiting for us to save ourselves, God is not waiting for us to do what he himself, Jesus Christ, has already done. When the spirit of the world, sometimes that spirit of you need to save yourself, when that gets into the church, it corrupts the gospel. It turns a message about how much God has done to save you into one about here's how much you need to do to save yourself. And that religious spirit, that worldly spirit, it leaves us as believers so self-conscious that we cannot see past, really, our own failings to see what God has done. Do you remember when Elisha the prophet was outside the city and he was surrounded by an, a, a great army and his servant cried out, oh my God, what are we going to do? Alas, we're doomed. And Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. And when his servant's eyes opened, he saw chariots of fire and horses all surrounding the prophet. You see, this is why we need the Holy Spirit. We need to see who God is. He's a God who never left us by ourselves to save ourselves. That's who he is. Praise God. As long as 
we as believers sit under a gospel that doesn't speak to us of who we now are and what we now have in Christ, but speaks to us as mere men. That's the way we'll behave, as merely religious men and women. But yet this gospel of grace is the power to beget children of God, not workers for God, children of God. So I just want to finish by saying, whatever message you ever hear, wherever you are, that purports to come from God, ask yourself one question. Did what I just hear leave my faith on me or on Jesus Christ? You see, when our faith is left in ourselves, when that religious spirit overcomes us, we find in our lives things like shame, guilt, continually comparing ourselves with each other, like the man in the story, depression. It's a hard thing to carry the weight of trying to save yourself. It will crush you. If I took a photograph of you sitting in your chair now, everybody smile. There we go. Now, if I took a photograph of your face and then took another one, if I asked you to carry a sack of potatoes up the steepest hill in Selbridge and then compared both photographs, they're pretty different, wouldn't they? What face of the church does this nation see? To see joy. The joy of a child who knows that they're not trying to save themselves. Only a child can live full of such joy and enthusiasm because they know I don't have to try and save myself. You know, the original meaning of the word enthusiasm, the theos, entheos, it means to be full of God. <laughs> Believers are the most enthusiastic people in the world because we're no longer trying to save ourselves. Praise God. Multitudes in this nation have walked away from a God who left them to save themselves and doesn't seem to be lifting a finger to help them. But that is not the God that Jesus revealed. The God that Jesus revealed said, I will put my spirit in you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. Jesus Christ is God, not leaving you to save yourself. I want to finish this morning just by asking you a question. Which God are you believing in? The God who left you to save yourself or the God who saved you in Jesus Christ? And the most wonderful thing is, you know, that God doesn't leave you to believe by yourself. His Spirit is present to persuade you. So even now this morning, the Holy Spirit is here to persuade you to persuade you that God is not the God who abandoned you. And sometimes I found in my life I was only able to receive that when I finally got tired enough, exhausted enough to say, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this. I can't live with guilt and shame and beat myself up anymore. As a friend of mine used to say, God didn't save you from drowning so you could beat yourself up on the shore. So there may be somebody here this morning and you've got to that place. You said, you know, I, I can't do this anymore. And maybe now God is revealing by his spirit to you that he is not that God. He is not the God who left you to save yourself. He never did. He is the God who is here to help you. And Jesus said it like this, all those who are heavily burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. For my burden is easy and my yoke is light. He never left you to save yourself. And if you continue to try and do that, knock yourself out. But you're not going to get anywhere past self-absorption, self-consciousness, selfish life. Because you've been left to carry a burden God never left you to carry. It's far too heavy. Jesus said that to the religious of his day. You weigh people down with heavy burdens. You won't lift one finger 
to help them. God is not the God who's not lifting a finger to help you. There is no person who's here today by mistake. God is speaking to you, you know. And he's so gracious. He doesn't do shotgun marriages. <laughs> he says, I'll persuade you. So I'm going to say this morning, I want to stand down here. I want to say, if you are one of these people this morning, and you believe that in this moment, for some reason, much to your surprise, you find yourself understanding that God never left you to save yourself, that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I'm going to hold my hand out. I want you to come and shake my hand. Now, I'll make you a promise. Every self-conscious bone in your body won't want to do it. But you find if you do it, bless you, brother. Bless you, brother. Bless you, brother. Thank you, Father, for my brother. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You lift that sack of potatoes off his back right now. I thank you, Father, Lord Jesus. You never asked him to save himself. You are his Savior. Declare this in Jesus' name. Praise God. You know, when you shake my hand, it's not about joining a church. It's not about where you're going to go on a Sunday. It's between you and him. You're just saying, I know this is true. I don't know how I know it's true. I just know this is true. Isn't that right? I just know this is true. Don't ask me how I know. I know this is true. And my father, he's a good father. He's a good father. He'd never leave me to save myself. And he didn't leave you to save yourself either. He is holding your hand right now. He is right with you. He always meant for you to know this. I just break off that sack of potatoes off your back in the name of Jesus. You are loved. You are beautiful in his sight. He just wants, you're going to be able to hear his voice in a beautiful way. You're just going to know things that you didn't, couldn't possibly know that you could know in the natural. And I just break off every fear and expectation that was put on you that was not of God. For God never expected you to do one thing by yourself. And he never left you to do one thing by yourself. Bless you, sister. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Praise you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for my dear sister. I thank you, Lord Jesus, right now for that empowerment that comes upon her life. As she says, yeah, Lord, I'm married to you. I say, I do. I'm married to you. I couldn't do this life for myself. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I can't do it anymore. Lord, you're with me, and I'm receiving you this morning. I'm receiving that truth. I'm never going to let it go. I'm not going to trust anymore in my grip on you. I'm trusting in your grip on me that you're never going to let me go. In Jesus' name, God bless you, sister. Praise God. Praise God. Why are you here this morning? You feel the Holy Spirit helps you? Yeah, I say amen to that. I declare to you God loves you. I declare to you that God died for you. And he loves you very much. And he always saw you standing here. And his heart rejoices over you. And even when you walk out of a building where there's no music or no big crowd, when you're all by yourself, he's with you. I bless you in Jesus' name. Go in the power of God. Praise God. God bless you, sister. I declare over you the blessing of God, the life of God. I declare that he is enough for you. Oh, you've looked to people to be enough for you and they've always let you down. He never let you down. I break the power of the lie in your life that God let you down. That's a lie. He always watched you. He was always with you. He always saw you with him. That's what a groom does when he looks at his bride. He sees her not according to her past, but according to him being with her. So I declare to you, by the power of the blood of Jesus, you're cleansed from your past. His past is now your past. And his past is a spotless past. Be free in Jesus' name. God bless you, sister. Praise God. God bless the young man. God gives you courage. Every person you raise knows how difficult it is to walk out here like that. But as you've walked out of here, it's not holding my hand that makes a difference. It's the fact that your feet carried you out here by the grace of God. God is with you. He'll enable you to do great things, things you think you can't do. Every time you try and do it by yourself, you'll fall. But he says, even though you fall 10 times, I'll always pick you up. 
and it's been picked up that you realize that he never left you. He's always with you. So God is with you and he delights in you. You're a mighty man of God. Go and serve God in the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you, my sister. And the Lord said the last will be first and the first will be last. God loves you. He delights in you. And all the fear in your life and anxiety and all those things that try to rob you, God says, they're nothing compared to me. For he who is in you is greater than he is in the world. And you've lived your life depending on what people have said to you. And you've lived according to the opinion of people. But God is going to put his opinion in you now. It's called his Holy Spirit. And when you begin to listen to his Holy Spirit, you want to say to him, my God, there's nothing I can do when he is for me. For if he is for me, who can be against you? Praise God. God delights in you. You're beautiful in his eyes. Go and serve him in the power of his strength. Go and kick your heels up and enjoy your life. For he made you to live life to the full, never alone but with him. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Praise God. Praise, God. Praise the Lord. And one more thing, you know. I, for years I was in meetings like this and I used to watch people go out the front and I wanted to. I wanted to so bad. And then when I didn't, I went home and I just beat myself up. Don't listen to that voice. Don't listen to that voice, you know. Coming out here at the front, I said to you that nothing you do makes you good enough that God can save. Because you didn't come out to the front, that doesn't mean that you're not good enough. Can you hear how that lie works? Hear the gospel. You're loved. You're forgiven. You're redeemed. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can believe that. For no man can say, Jesus Lord, apart from the Spirit. And you have not been left apart from God's Holy Spirit. God bless you this morning. Praise God.